What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Ponce. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host and the best fantasy player I know, Dylan White. I, I went a little more subdued this time, Dylan. Just the best <laughs> I know. I appreciate it. Maybe you're not fe- feeling 100%. Um, <clears throat> I am. I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. I'm not even sure if you asked me, but uh, it's uh, very cold up here in Toronto right now. We're in the middle of a cold snap. And uh, it's very, it's, I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but it's below zero in Celsius. And uh, my little wiener dog is having, uh, not enjoying himself, being built low to the ground and having to trudge through snow and ice. But uh, I'm okay. I'm doing well. And I'm. Uh, it's prospects uh, week, as always, I guess, at BA, but especially this week with uh, the top 100 coming out very soon, if not uh, when you hear this. And uh, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of shortstops that uh, may be involved in that. Uh, I don't yeah. know if these are spoilers or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the top 100 is live on the site today. It released today, uh, being Wednesday. We're recording on Tuesday, but I know I have the foresight. I know when the list is being released, and I have seen it <laughs> in all its glory. And uh, yeah, I think there is a shortstop that is ranked uh, very, very highly by both us and in the prospect rankings. Um, but we're not going to talk about that right now. No. I want to get into some news because for the first time in a few weeks this offseason, we actually have some news. Um, mostly all pertaining with the Cubs, though, for whatever reason that is. Um, Shada Omanaga, uh, did I butcher that again? Dylan, I think I did. You can just correct me. Um, signs with the Cubs, uh, you know, obviously not on the same level as Yomamato, but a standout nonetheless. I got an opportunity to see him last year in the WBC uh, left-hander low release, you know, high, you know, uh, a flat vertical approach angle type of fastball. So it's going to be a guy that can eat high in the zone and ride it. Um, and has, you know, deceptive characteristics uh, on that fastball as well. He's a legitimate starter um, and gives the Cubs a, a solid mid rotation style arm. So Dylan, have you've been in drafts? Obviously, he's somebody that has been available and on the board even before he signed. Do you roster him anywhere? And what are your expectations for Imanaga this season? I don't have him anywhere. Um, I think he is going to be a top 30 starter, pretty much guaranteed. So an SP one or two, depending on how deep your your league is, um, or two or three, I guess. Um, It's funny that it's like after he signed it felt it felt like he got a bump even though maybe the cubs aren't the best landing spot like i'd like the giants are probably better with uh, their park and all that um or uh even even a bigger contender like the yankees or something but uh 
I think it's like people are are afraid in drafts to commit to someone who is not yet signed with like the very small possibility he wouldn't sign anywhere and they're left holding the bag. Um, so yeah, he's kind of, it feels like he's kind of moved up in the, in the, in the perception of his rankings. Like I think for FYPDs, he's a definite first rounder. I kind of feel he's creeping into like uh, closer to the top half of the first half, just because he can help a team right now. Um, projection systems have him for like a mid threes ERA, even, uh, and he should, you know, pitch 140 innings, that type of thing. Um, so he's going to help your team right away this year. And he's only 30. He's not as young as Yamamoto, obviously. So he doesn't have the long-term value, but he's definitely a, a good value. And, uh, you know, it, age 30 is not the, the cliff for pitchers anymore. Um, so he'll, he'll put in a good few years of, of uh, of productive uh, value. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think that there's even a chance that he's going a, a little underrated um, based on what he could potentially return, not just in dynasty, but even in redraft. Um, you know, we saw uh, the type of season that Kodai Sanga had last year. Um, I don't think Imanaga is terribly far off from, from that level of pitcher. Um it's just I think he went, you know, some of the more headline names, Yamamoto, of course, Otani, sign out the West Coast. And it's tough when you're being compared to probably the two most decorated Japanese pitchers of all time. Um, if you want to consider Otani a straight pitcher for our rankings positionally, we have to because we don't do DH rankings. <laughs> and as much as I wanted to shoehorn into the outfield rankings that released today as well so go and check those out we have our top 100 outfielders shameless plug um <laughs> i could not so that being said all right we have more cubs news to talk about here big trade the trade that i think all prospect writers prospect hounds fans fantasy dynasty managers redraft managers have wanted for a long time that is michael bush is finally free he was shipped alongside 29 year old relief pitcher former rockies prospect yancy almonte um to uh the dodgers and excuse me to the cubs in exchange for left-handed pitcher jackson ferris who was uh ranked as the cubs number 10 prospect um in the most recent cubs rankings um he's somebody that should <laughs> probably get a, a fairly good bump really interesting pitcher we had some scouts that even compared him and put him on the same class of pitcher as Noah Schultz who were all in the same league last year um that's a really interesting one and I think when you think about the Dodgers development program in the pitching side that's really interesting they also got Zaire Hope who is a tooled up outfielder 80 grade runner kind of in line with uh what the Dodgers have been targeting lately on the prep side, Kendall George, obviously being one of those, their first round pick, very similar sort of style of player. Um, so with this trade, obviously Michael Bush gets a bump. How much would you bump him? Let's just say like in our first base rankings, because we know that based on the reports, he's going to be the first baseman or he's getting work at first base. That's where his intended position is going to be with the Cubs. How does he rank now against the first baseman now that you've seen an opportunity open up? Does it change your evaluation at all in terms of what the value is? Or was it something that we were sort of expecting going into it? That's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, I was expecting him being traded. Um, 
So I did give him already kind of a, an implied bump, but I also hedged that because, you know, there's a chance he wouldn't, and then he's going to be lost in the, the shuffle of the Dodgers, uh, keeping him, <laughs> keeping him uh, on the bench. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess his value must go up. Um, I'm not sure how much it will. I, I'm, I really want the best for him. Um, he's always performed. Um, maybe he's, he's going to be a strong side platoon, maybe, but he kind of did okay against lefties last year. The problem is for me, he's, he's now 25. Um, not that that's old, but it's a bit old for prospect uh love he's not the greatest defensively so he's being moved to first i don't know if he has that much power he's he's a 20 home run bat for sure um but he's not going to be like the 30 home run bat or like the the 60 hit that we thought he'd have um at least that's what it seems like now so i do like the fact that he's gonna get some run um he's still you know mid-20s so he should you know get a chance he's like in the kirilov mold where it's like for a long time, we just wanted them to get the playing time. And then now maybe hopefully they're either healthy or have the, the full-time run to do it. So now we can see what, what, you know, where they're at. Um, so I, I really want the best for him. I'm not totally convinced he's going to do that. Well, projections are a bit uh, lukewarm on him. Uh, I looked at zips and steamer. They have them, you know, like 20 home runs for, you know, 500 some odd plate appearances, which is not that great. Um, one good thing is this year he will have probably third base and first base. So that's good for a corner, which is probably the best spot, spot for him in dynasty value. Uh, I think the person, the owner of him now is not going to move him because finally it's paying off. He's going to see the, you know, the fruits of his, his patience. Um, so maybe hard to trade for him unless you really believe. And I just think that the price might be too high. So Obviously, you're, if you have Michael Bush on your dynasty team, you're ecstatic that he's going to get the the run that he can have and see where he goes. You've been waiting for this moment. Um, I'm just not sure he's going to be, you know, like a incredibly elite producer that uh, you know, this is what you've been waiting for. So I would temper expectations, but he definitely gets a bump up from where we had him. Yeah, and I, and I would also say he's also 26, by the way. He turned 26 oh. in November. Um I wonder how much of the age factor is kind of being baked and maybe it's not at all being baked into these projection numbers from steamer. Um, they look real low, even just based. And I'm not the biggest Michael Bush, like truther in the world, but I think he's going to have a higher on base percentage than 317, frankly. Um, and I think that he'll slug better than 410, uh, regardless of what he runs for a strikeout rate. It was 18.8 in AAA last year. Obviously, that is, you know, uh, with the benefits of the AAA zone and, and you know, the ABS when that was being used. So there is some bump there. We all know that there's a, a drop down. Um, I do think that there was improvement across the board in terms of some of the underlying skills, which which happens with players of this age. That's typically something that we see. You know, I... <sighs> If he produces a season like Vinny Pasquantino or what we anticipate Vinny Pasquantino to produce, I don't think that's going to be shocking, frankly. Um, but maybe that puts me into the higher on Michael Bush camp than others. Um, I just think the power's there. The on-base ability is there. Pasquantino has more bat-to-ball skill, but I don't think that the the difference in what we saw from Bush last year versus what Pasquantino is is enough to be a huge differentiator. Maybe in batting average leagues, I try to lean more points in OBP the more leagues that I join and play. So um, 
that's where my mind is a lot of the time. But I do think we could get more out of Michael Bush than that. And I'll say go and acquire Jackson Ferris um, because he had, like I said, great feedback from the scouting community. The numbers are good behind, you know, data, et cetera. He's somebody that I would definitely target. You know, the Dodgers have done pretty well in terms of the pitching prospects that they've developed in recent years. Um, last Cubs note here is where apparently this is a Cubs podcast. Matt Shaw, somebody who's in the shortstop ranking, somebody that we'll t- discuss in detail shortly. Um, <laughs> so I saw a lot in the Cape when he won his, his Cape Cod League MVP in 2022. And it's just had, you know, uh, sort of, he's rocketed up the rankings over the last couple of years, you know, from a, a kid who went to high school here in Massachusetts and, you know, wasn't a huge pre- prospect, you know, ended up at Maryland, uh, set their all-time home run record and, you know, obviously had a great career there. Um, him moving to third base kind of signals to me a little bit when you think, and I asked you this before the podcast, who is the Cubs starting third baseman? You said it's Nick Madrigal. That tells me that, Shaw could be a guy. My ears perked up when I read that. Eyes bulged out of my head. Awooga, awooga. This is a guy that could potentially be up in the big leagues by the summer if he hits. And we saw what he did out of the draft. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs have Dansby Swanson at short, Nico Horner at second. There's that gold glove type defense, incredible up the middle. Um productive offensively as well. So Matt Shaw was kind of left without a spot. And so if he can play third, that's definitely where you'd want to put him. Um, and that definitely makes him interesting as well, because he's going to put up maybe 20 stolen bases uh, per season. And at the third base position, that's very valuable. You don't get that very often with the, you know, the hitting and the, the power as well. Um, I kind of picture him like a, a 270, 2020 kind of guy. Um, so at third base, that's very valuable. Um because it just opens up a lot of flexibility and options for your uh, the way you build out the rest of your roster. So that's very interesting. I do think he will be up this year, um, which is why I have him, I think, number four in my personal FYPD, um, just right behind, you know, the big <laughs> the big three of Yamamoto, uh, White Langford, and Dylan Cruz. And then I have Matt Shaw. I have, have, have him ahead of Skeens. I have him ahead of Jenkins. Um, have him ahead of Colt Emerson. Have him ahead of Imanaga. Um, so, yeah, great, great, uh, exciting um, turn of events, I guess, for the Cubs. Um, I guess maybe they expected it, but uh, having it uh, sort of in writing and the, the writing on the wall that he'll be possibly playing third base uh, as yeah. soon as 2024 is great. Yeah, and just to kind of add a little bit more context here, it was reported by Ryan Herrera of allchicago.com. That's all C-H-G-O.com. I think you've probably seen a lot of those sites popping up. Shaw, when quoted, said he's taken probably 99% of his reps this offseason at third base. So that really kind of cements the point home that we were just making. Uh, Surprises me a little bit. I didn't think the arm was that strong for third, but hey, maybe, you know, maybe that's improved over the last year. Um, Wouldn't be out of the uh, realm of possibility. He is a good fielder, so could all work out there. Um, All right. Well, let's take a quick break because we've gone through our news and notes. We're going to jump into shortstops after this. What do you say, Dylan? Let's do it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and we are back. Dylan, this is one of the more loaded positions that we've ranked. We just did outfielders, and I think, you know, when you consider how many outfielders have to play in a game, (laughs) that should be a pretty deep position. The shortstop rankings are loaded. This is a position where there are, you know, multiple top, 50 players. I mean, how many top 50 players did we end up having in the, in the shortstop rankings? It was, I'm going to pull up the number right here. Of course I should have had this ready. Should have been more prepared, Jeff. Come on. Um, We had nine players that ranked inside the top 50 at shortstop. And there's only one of those per 30 teams. So that kind of tells you how loaded the position is. We had three players in the top 15, the top three shortstops here were all in the top 15, one being Bobby Witt Jr., number two being Gunnar Henderson, who's also the number one third baseman, and Corey Seager at three, followed by Jackson Holiday at four, and Bo Bichette at five. Um, talking through this top five a little bit, Witt to me is kind of in a tier of his own. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. I do think there's an opportunity for Henderson to certainly catch up there. I think this is probably the high water mark for Seeger's value um, for good reason, but I think that's probably the case. Then you got somebody like Jackson Holiday who's sitting there at four and I think has the opportunity to maybe creep up to the top. Maybe not for 2025 when we're going into next year, but coming out of 2025, it wouldn't shock me if Jackson Holiday's making his case for number one, number two at the position and challenging Bobby Witt. But am I wrong in, in saying that Bobby Witt Jr. is easily the, the the number one shortstop? There's no questions asked. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think he, for me, he's probably in 2024 in a redraft. He's probably my number two um, after uh, Acuna Jr., of course. I might take Strider too, but that's a, a story for another, maybe another week when uh, the pictures come out. Um, but just, I don't think anyone or, or people would be surprised that he just so came on so strong, so fast. I mean, he's 30-30 bat and he's young and he, he hit for good batting average as well. Like he's already, he's kind of what we want Gunner to become and Bobby Witt's already done it. Um, so I don't think um, any probabilistic 
um, model would have Henderson ahead of Witt. I don't think they should. I just, I think Witt has separated himself. I wouldn't be surprised if Gunnar Henderson is in that conversation after this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Jackson Holiday is, is just outside that conversation as well. Um, but I think right now, based on where they are in their careers um, and what they will be for the next three, four years, I think it, it's got to be Bobby Witt. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Seager at three, as I mentioned, I think this is probably going to be the high water mark for Seager. I don't see him necessarily challenging the number one position or the uh, for number one at the shortstop position. That being said, when it comes down to plate skills, power, batting average, it, he's contributing across the board. There's not a lot of speed, obviously, but... You know, last year hit 327, 390, 623 with 33 home runs. And these are Miguel Cabrera kind of numbers, right? So getting that at at, a, at the shortstop position is pretty remarkable. Um, he's in a good lineup. It's crazy to say that that lineup could even get better this year. Uh, with, you know, Evan Carter there full time, Wyatt Langford with an opportunity to see a large chunk of his season in the major leagues, et cetera. Um, it's a good setup. It's a good team dynamic. And, you know, if you're missing out on that, you know, number one or two, someone gets real saucy and takes holiday. I'm more than happy to sit back and take Seager in really any format. Yeah. I mean, the thing obviously is the lack of speed. Um, and at the shortstop position, there's so many options. And if you, if you're settling quote unquote on Seager, you know, you're gonna have to find your speed somewhere else, but like just an incredible performer. Like he said, um, with the, the shift being banned. Um, he did exactly what we expected and hoped, and that is take advantage and just put up godly numbers and do it through the, the World Series um, as well. So, yeah, excellent player. Obviously, just a, a set and forget, and you don't have to worry about that position. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get down the rankings a little bit here. Um, we got Ellie De La Cruz at six, and he's a divisive player. You know, I think people saw how the last few months of the season went after his initial burst. Um, but the thing, I, when I did more research, I started to dig more. I started to see some improvements over those last month or two in terms of plate discipline, some swing decisions, some of those things. So maybe that's some of the underlying stuff that's positive, you know, um, in terms of the narrative around Ellie that, Maybe it's not quite as bad as we think. And we know how explosive this guy is. Even with everything that we saw last year, he was still on pace for what, like a 2050 type of season. Um, so, you know, I'm willing to get aggressive with Ellie De La Cruz and burden some of that gamble uh, and roster him. I've been trying to acquire him everywhere I can. And despite a lot of negativity around him this offseason, I have not been able to buy him at a discount. Yeah, I mean, obviously the ceiling is sky high. Um, I think he's he's kind of, he had the dip. I think he was being taken like in the first rounds and redrafts. And then people started questioning that as being uh, a bit imprudent. And then so he kind of dipped, but now he's kind of coming back up, kind of like what you're talking about, how people saw that, you know, his tracer rate was improving and the contact rate was improving near the, near the end of the season. Um I'm a bit I'm a bit worried for this year just because of you know the Cincinnati Red log jam in the infield. Um like 
if the, if he struggles in the first bit of the season, I'm assuming he makes a team out of spring training. If he struggles in the first few weeks, like he could be sent down. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, and that would just be tragic if you use, you know, first or second round for him uh, in a redraft dynasty. I think because the ceiling's so high, I mean, I think he's literally the most electrifying player in the big leagues right now. Um, you know, you have 30 home run, 50 stolen base seasons. Um, and just on a, on a team that's going to have an incredible offensive lineup, probably because of the park. Um, so yeah, like the sky's kind of the limit with Elie de la Cruz. I'm just a bit worried for this year. And just because of that, I kind of, you know, I'm tempering my expectations a bit, but I think in a dynasty, you should go out and acquire him. And I think we have him in the right spot. Well, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. You know, I think this year could be, could be tricky. Um, I think you also got to take the gamble a little bit that things could get figured out. He has a whole off season to, to work on these things. He's now a major leaguer access to just different things that he would have had access to maybe a year ago and see what the work yields, because this is a guy that grew by leaps and bounds as a professional. But if you go back and we had a great podcast with his signing scout um, that Kyle Glazer did last year and you know, this was a guy that was considered too raw um, for the international class. He was not a huge name and was kind of an afterthought that got brought out after the main players had been brought out. Ellie gets brought out into a workout and showcased to the Reds, particularly because this this scout, this uh, you know scouting director, had uh, a relationship with the trainer, and you know, so he showcased him. They signed Ellie, and the rest is history. But I think when you look at the trajectory of some of these guys, it's important to factor that in sometimes. And it's tough to have a concrete way to measure that um, with, with data in a real way. But this is a guy that has grown by leaps and bounds in five years from a guy that was incredibly raw, that wasn't considered elite in, in, in the international signing class to one of the most exciting players in the major leagues. So, you know, this is the kind of guy I would gamble on making those strides. And, you know, I just know from having, you know, um, some conversations with the McLean brothers and, and Matt McLean, who's very good friends with Ellie, um, just how hard of a worker this guy is. And sometimes that's the stuff that we want to dismiss because it's not something that we can measure. Um, but when you're talking to people around the game that are around them and you trust, it gives you insight into the type of worker that they are. So he's somebody that I, I find really interesting. And, I'm going to pivot here a little bit, go into um, one of your, your targets that also happened to be my fade, who I think is very similar in some regards to Ellie De La Cruz, and that's O'Neill Cruz. So I will give you the floor to make your case <laughs> for O'Neill Cruz as a target before I embarrass myself following. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I can't argue with anything you wrote in your fade. Um, everything you said is true. I, I, the way I saw it is O'Neill Cruz is pretty much what Ellie De La Cruz was before Ellie De La Cruz uh, came on the map. O'Neill Cruz, incredible power, high, high, one of the highest percentile exit velocities, one of the highest percentile arm strengths, one of the highest percentile sprint speeds. In other words, Ellie De La Cruz. Um, but he already played basically a season in the majors. He's already kind of had to adjust and, and been through some, some uh, negativity. So if Ellie De La Cruz and a redraft's going in the first or second round and O'Neill Cruz is going in the sixth or seventh, 
it's kind of like why take Elida Cruz, Adela Cruz when you can take O'Neill Cruz, that, that chestnut you see on Twitter all the time. Um, so based on that, I was thinking maybe O'Neill Cruz is being undervalued. He's been forgotten. He had that, that ankle injury missed basically the entire season last year. Um, so why can't he come back? And if you have the opportunity to get Ellie De La Cruz, but at a fraction of the price, you know, maybe that's someone that you should target. Of course, I know the flip side and I'll let you, I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, I know like O'Neill Cruz's makeup, maybe being reported, not as good as Ellie De La Cruz's work ethic, etc. cetera. Um, so of course there are warts, but uh, basically what I said, if you can get Ellie yeah. De La Cruz for a fraction of the price and there's an opportunity that he becomes Ellie De La Cruz, you, you kind of go for it. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because I don't know if it's a fraction of the price um, in dynasty because we still had, we still had O'Neill Cruz not far outside of the, the top 50. I mean, uh, Francisco Lindor is number 50 and O'Neill Cruz is 10. And if I remember correctly, it was only a few spots behind him. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I realized that I put Ellie De La Cruz as a target and then had O'Neill Cruz as a fade, which is contradictory. <laughs> I understand that. Um, I do believe in Ellie a little bit more than I, I believe in O'Neill Cruz. We've, you know, he's younger. We've seen some of it from Cruz, but I do worry about him sort of dominating the way that Ellie did in like triple a, we didn't really see that. It was only 55 games um, in, in 2022, but you know, he hit 232, 336, 422. There's still swinging miss concerns. There's been injury concerns throughout his career. Um, and it's the pirates. I would much rather hit with a guy like that in great America ballpark with that reds lineup. <laughs> than than hitting Pittsburgh, <laughs> which is not a great hitting park. And, you know, the lineup is getting better, I suppose, but still not great. I have I just have a higher degree of faith in Ellie's circumstances, which I think sometimes more than we'd like to admit has a huge factor on where guys end up with their careers, who they play for, where they play their home games, how their how their swings and and you know, offensive games play in those particular parks, you know, um, Andrew Benintendi's numbers early in his career would have looked a lot better if he played at Yankee stadium was trying to pull the ball out to right field than if he was doing that at Fenway, you know? Um, so I think sometimes it, the, the, the park can be an impact. And I think that that is the saving grace sometimes with Ellie is that he does get to play in the best hitting ballpark, probably in the majors, <laughs> at least from a home run perspective, you can obviously make the case for Coors, of course. Um, but you don't deal with the with the home road effects of going from altitude, you know, to not altitude with the Cincinnati. Uh, they may have to eat skyline chili a couple times a year, which is going to be uh, stress on your 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 upper GI. But you know, <laughs> that's another conversation for another time. Um, let's go to some sleepers here because we 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 teased a little bit with Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw was one of your sleepers. You had Colt Emerson. You picked the two best sleepers. I, my sleepers were Aldale Amador, Colson Montgomery, both good players, both good sleepers, both players I, I want to roster and do roster in some some dynasty leagues. But man, Matt Shaw and, and Colt Emerson, two FYPD guys that probably could go five and six even in some drafts. You you get silly. I bet you you could even go four. Yeah, I, I would go. Well, I'd go four for Shaw. Emerson, um, I was asked a question on Twitter, Emerson or Max Clark. 
Um, I, I, I think I lean Emerson. I think it's close, but I still go with Emerson. Emerson just dominated at uh, at single A. Um, Modesto, Robo Scout thought he was better than you know seventeen year old Ethan Salas, same age. Um, so I, I I can't I can't turn my back on Robo Scout if Robo Scout's you know flashing the red sirens. Um, so I took Cold Emerson. I knew you'd want him. I knew you'd want Matt Shaw. I think I stole your sleepers and targets uh, from third base too. I like Kobe Mayo as well. So you know if you snooze, you lose. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I like Adele Amador. That's definitely not uh, someone that you're you know you're settling on. We have Amador, I think, fifteenth in our shortstops, um, and he hasn't even you know had a major league at bat. Obviously, um, I really like Amador, but I, I you know I wanted to go true sleepers, <laughs> FYPD guys. So Colt Emerson and Masha. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think Jenkins is the only high school player from this draft that I would take over Colt Emerson right now in an FYPD. Um, and I agree, all four of these guys, and I think it's funny that we have four prospects as our sleepers uh, in shortstop, but that's kind of the way shortstop is. When you have nine players in the top 50 and a guy like O'Neill Cruz at 10 and Matt McLean, who are not far outside of that top 50. Um, but like Colson Montgomery, for example, there are some questions as, as to the back, what the health is. When he's on the field, it is really difficult to argue with the underlying data. Um, I mentioned in the article... You know, X Woba 408, X Wobacon 433. Um, that shows me with the X Woba that there are plate skills and quality of contact. We take the plate skills, the swing decisions, the contact, all that out of it, and we just look at the quality of contact. It's even better, which is pretty remarkable. Um, I don't know if he ends up staying at shortstop long term. He could move to third base. With the way things are changing in Chicago, and it seems like a true lean into a rebuild. He's a guy that could move quickly and could be up in the major leagues sometime this summer. It wouldn't shock me. If he's healthy, I, I really do think the ability is there. Um, and you brought up Amador, you know, another guy, another top 100 prospect, um, one of the best hit tools in the minors, you know, just great bats of ball skills. Um, and I think what's unique about him is he's one of these, you know, advanced hit tool international players but those guys typically tend to be aggressive swingers and he's very patient. Um, he doesn't chase out of the zone. He keeps a really tidy zone. Um, he's going to get on base in addition to all the bats of ball skills that he, he provides. And though I know people knock the impact, the underlying data isn't that bad, especially when you think about the archetype that he's in with those sort of undersized contact middle infielders. He's got more impact than you would think. You know, he kind of exceeds what the baseline minimum is there. I think the home run numbers were certainly spiked a little bit by Spokane this season. Um, but he's one of these guys with such elite barrel control, it wouldn't shock you, you know, if he does grow into like 20 homer power at peak with a great batting average, good on base percentages. And a player like this, like his batting average is going to get even more play in a place like Coors because of the batting average on balls and play bump, which is the biggest bump with Coors. It's not power. You know, it's those alleys and how absolutely massive that outfield is. Um, this is a guy that can shoot the gaps and take advantage of it. He's not a burner, but he runs well enough to take the extra base and, you know, get you enough steals that it matters. And I think he's going to be a really high floor player in terms of batting average or OBP and sort of the unique hit tool guy that can play in both formats. Totally agree. I, I I love Amador. I think uh, 
like you said, the hit tool is one of the best in the in the best in the minors. I, I think it may be <laughs> the best in the minors. Yeah. Um, Colton Montgomery as well. Like uh, in redraft, he's being taken. Like his ADP is something like thirtieth round or something like that because the White Sox have Paul DeYoung at short and Nicky Lopez at second and. Yeah. Yo and Mancata third who was always going to be injured. So like they I would not be surprised if Coles Montgomery makes it and plays in the infield in, in 2024 for sure. Um mm. he's also very young, so he's gonna be in the majors at age 22, 21. And then once he gets, you know, gets shakes the cobwebs out and is kind of used to major leagues, he's gonna have, you know, a whole decade ahead of him of of production and, and no one kind of chasing him down from behind. So definitely a, a great target and a great sleeper. Time for a dynasty. Let's end this podcast with you sharing your fade, Carlos Correa. How you have fallen from grace, my friend. Uh, I love Carlos Correa. Um, I have him in a dynasty league. Um, this the plantar fasciitis. It just scares me. I just know that these are nagging injuries that you never kind of get over. It's kind of like turf toe. How if you get turf toe in the season, you have a player who has turf toe, like they're not going to be productive. We saw that with Aaron Judge. We saw that with Jazz Chisholm. Um, and just plantar fasciitis, that's what plagues Pujols. That's what's plaguing Chris Bryant. I'm just worried that he's never going to kind of get it back. Um, I think he's underrated in some ways because I think people have really soured on him. He did he did so poorly. He doesn't have any speed. The shortstop position's loaded. So he's not really a guy that, that people are, are interested at all, especially because he has this injury risk. Um, so I do think he's kind of underrated in terms of what he's actually going to produce, but I just, I just don't think he's going to get back to being Carlos Correa uh, or I'm worried that there's a very high chance he won't. Um, and so if you have him, you know, you're kind of stuck with him because no one's interested in, in trading for him. I think in an OBP league, he's good. He's going to be probably, if he's playing in the, the middle of that lineup and with Royce Lewis um, full-time, Byron Buxton hopefully <laughs> hopefully not injured. You know, that's a pretty potent lineup. Edward Julian, all those guys. Um, and if he's being put right in the middle, he's going to have the, the counting stats. Um, I'm just worried about the 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 injury. And so it's, it's possible he's, you know, he's he's nobody for the rest of his career, which is not what I want um, for for the benefit of him not just because of my team, but uh, it's uh, there's a high chance that, you know, he may never, may never, you know, be fully healthy ever again. Yeah. And we saw the signing drama just a year ago, last off season, right. And the medical concerns. And I don't even think that was to do with the plantar fasciitis. So there are other underlying issues as well that he's dealing with. So yeah, unfortunate. I had to keep him in Highlander uh, because uh, I'm trying to actually have a competitive team after falling down from like fifth to like second to last or whatever last year. Um, actually, I think I, maybe like the last month of the season, I, I moved up to like six. But either way, he ended up being one of my keepers. And I'm hoping we do get a bounce back here. But uh, I don't think I disagree with what you just said. It was a great point. Well, either way, Dylan, shortstops, it's fun. We got outfielders. We got pitchers. And then we got the final rankings, man. Like. We're almost there. It's kind of crazy to think. Like, here we are on January 16th, and we're through so many positions. We've made so much headway already. That being said, go to Baseball America. We have the Fantasy HQ linked up at the top of the page. That Fantasy HQ page will have 
all of our position rankings linked. It will also have all of our per position targets, sleepers, and fades. It has a handful of other really interesting database articles, Rotoscout articles, that both Dylan and I have contributed over the last year that we feel, or actually over the off season, that we feel are valuable and stuff that can inform your decisions uh, when it comes to your drafts, your trades, your free agent pickups, whatever it might be. Uh, and we want to thank you once again for tuning in. Go check out the Baseball America Top 100, man. It's on the site. I can't believe we had a number 100.